Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Zach trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Sixth and inside. A thunderous dunk. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects. And connecting with me now live, my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I'd be doing better if our dear our dear friend Darius's back was feel a little bit better. But you know, <laughs> uh, that is uh, that is the the pain of a long season and putting the offense on your back for a solid uh, couple weeks here post the Rubio injury. And uh, all we can do is wish him well. But we got a lovely little guest with us here, Justin. We we do have a lovely guest, and I I think Carter, it's really important that we are accountable when we are wrong when we do things that damage the team. And I, I think having Martin Rickman on right after the Garland feature is why Garland is out. Because, it, it, you know, sometimes the universe lines up, sometimes it doesn't. But you know what? Sometimes absence also makes the heart grow fonder. Sometimes it lets you know what you do have all along. And I could not be more excited to introduce editorial director at Dime Up Rocks, Martin Rickman. Martin. Welcome back to the podcast. How you doing? I mean, what an intro, guys. And that's <laughs> good plug. Oh, my gosh. Mm. So hell good. of a feature, my friend. Good work. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah, you know, this is an interesting time. I worried <laughs> dropping this thing and us <laughs> waiting a few days, watching him grab his back whenever he did those last few weeks as I was reporting this thing. <laughs> you, you worry like it's your own kid. It's crazy. But I think y'all are right. I mean, we've seen now a couple things that this team probably needed Sunday's mm-hmm. game, a wake up call. You saw some leadership from him and taking ownership of that and calling guys out, which good thing. We want that. We want our leaders, whether they just turned 22 or whether they're 40 to be doing that. I think that's Rondo's influence. And then secondly, them gutting out a win without him, but showing exactly what they need, because if they don't have him for an extended period of time, 
that's not good for a playoff team. So this is, you know, a wake up call for, for not just the team, but probably for the front office here as we head into the trade deadline. Yeah. Yeah. I I couldn't agree more. I I think there was a real big difference in effort. Like uh, Carter, I I think you were on the money when you tweeted that that Pistons loss was a a press clippings loss where you're coming off your best win of the season. And in my opinion, three days off, just get gassed up by the press. Oof. <laughs> and, and you know what? The the game unfolded in the exact way a loss like that would happen, right? Where they're just kind of playing with their food. They're up, they're up, they're up. Then all of a sudden, a special talent in Cade Cunningham just kind of goes off in the last minutes of the fourth quarter. You lose your grip on the game and you end up losing, in my opinion, their worst loss of the year. And it was... I think there there were people that were pointing out just some of the deficiencies in the roster now with all the injuries that they've had. Obviously, you're missing spacing with Larry Markinen. You're missing ball handling and creation with Colin Sexton and Ricky Rubio. That loss was purely about effort, in my opinion, and I was happy to see them own up to that. But I, I, I did like the contrast with a game that took some years off my life beating the Pelicans where that was just a good old fashioned, at least for this season, uh, the, the old fashioned, you know, we might not have the the firepower, but we're not going to give up at any point. We're going to come back. We're going to win ugly. We're going to win with defense and effort and guys like Lamar Stevens stepping up. It, that, it was, was, that was a real stank face win. you just kind of, <laughs> you just kind of fight your way through it. You're, you're not getting, you're not getting the calls you want. And Brandon Goodwin. Oh my goodness. Whew. I, I'm 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 falling for this guy Carter. Uh, he, Diet, he's, Diet he's showing Colin. some stuff. <laughs> Diet Colin, man, he's uh, he was attacking the rim, uh, taking some confident uh, catch and shoot threes. Um, you know, I, I was I couldn't have been more impressed by the 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 guttiness of the win. Obviously, New Orleans was down their own their yeah. own their own best players as well. So it's not exactly like you know a mm-hmm. banner win, but it was a kind of game where. Cavs are missing their, but they're, you know, they're kind of their, their key to their offense. Uh, and in my opinion, their best player in Darius, they've, they have lost every conceivable ball handler they could possibly have. <laughs> I, I could have sworn we were done with point jetty. Uh, yeah. I didn't think that last... was going to have to come back anytime soon. So no, I, <laughs> and, and you know, things. and they go down eight out to start mm-hmm. the game. And yeah. I, I think I tweeted, it's going to be a long night, isn't it? And it was a long night, but long in the sense that it just kind of grit they just kind of gritted and gutted their way back into a game. And, you know, they just got enough buckets. You know, I don't think, I think Mobley had his worst game of his career. Probably um, looked like a guy who was getting pretty worn out. Yeah. Uh, like I tweeted it, uh, last night. I think that he looked like the guy that was like, how many more games we got to play? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which, you know, you see, more, from, so. yeah. yeah. And you see that on every rookie's face at one point oh. or another in the season. Um, mm-hmm. And it just, it just felt like, the kind of win again that they would have lost last season. And, you know, these wins are really important. They're a game out of first place still. Yeah. What's incredible about all this is, is we talk about them having their worst loss of the season. It's a road loss to the team that had the number one pick in a game that they should have won mm-hmm. at the end of January. I mean, the fact that there's even this conversation happening and then their worst win, if we're going to call that right after that on a back to back, this is what's so exciting about this team. I mean, that's the thing. And whether you're a Cavs guy or whether you're a national guy, there is such a difference between last year's roster and this year's roster, despite the fact that there really isn't that much of a difference in personnel. And that's yeah. the thing that's so exciting about this team is arguably, maybe if you factor in injuries and stuff, 
you know, you, you don't have Mobley last year, but you've got Drummond, you've got Prince, you've got a healthy Sexton. That's a team that maybe is more talented on the yeah. floor, depending on who you talk to. So that's the difference in culture and establishing an identity. That's having JB for another season. And that's having Garland flipping the switch. And then obviously having an all-world unicorn and a rookie of the year and Evan Mobley that allows you to do so much more than you were able, able to do. But the team isn't that different from a makeup. So that's why it's like watching them win games like this, even despite the injuries, despite anything else that's going on, it just get it makes this such a more fun conversation than we would have been having last year at this time. You know, yeah, I saw I saw someone tweet that, oh well, I guess it took 50 games for the Cavs to have their first bad loss. Let's all throw a fit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, we we talked last year about the Cavs like trying to make like a Hawks like leap. Uh, from yeah. from a lottery team to a, a team that can kind of, you know, hold their own in, in the Eastern Conference. And uh, one of the things that I, I pointed out when people would say, well, they don't have the cap space to add a Gallinari or Bogdanovich, that, that sort of thing was, I really felt like the leap the Hawks took last year was more about like chemistry between Trey and Capella being so good, a, a full year Clint Capella, young guy stepping up, DeAndre Hunter played really well for them last year. The difference is you didn't waste money and, and uh, on guys like Gallinari and Bogdanovich, which put the Hawks in a complicated situation where now they have to make decisions on their young guys because they've already allocated so many resources to these veterans. So I, I think it's a really yeah, we allocated all our money to Kevin Love like three years ago. It's right. Right. going down. It is. It starts <laughs> to go down and he's been valuable. So I, I think that's a good point that I've been thinking a lot about with Kobe is like, he's made these decisions consistently to kick the can down two, three years. Mm-hmm. There's only like one more time he really needs to do that. You know, the, even the Nance move was another one where it's like, okay, well, we're going to get a little bit younger. We're going to get a guy who's, you know, a, what, three, four years younger than Larry, maybe five. And so yeah. I think you're in a situation now where you can kind of stand pat pretty soon and then you can start to buy the veterans around. But if you'd have done it too quickly, you box yourselves in for making those moves. And so I think, look, I, I'm glad he got the extension. I don't think he's gotten nearly amount of the amount of respect and attention that he deserves for the job that he's done as GM. I think that people should probably spend as much time giving him those accolades back as they spent criticizing him for moves that have largely panned out to this point as a majority stake. But he, you know, it's, it's this hindsight thing where people don't ever like to apologize. They don't ever like to admit that they were wrong. But I think a lot of people probably should admit they were wrong about Kobe Allman. Yeah, I think that's why we like to kind of present both sides of the argument on, on the podcast and then just kind of explain whatever our thought process is. Cause yeah, we tell it, people they were wrong on Twitter. Yeah, yeah that's, ex- that's exactly. We're, we're good grown-ups. But <laughs> when we make mistakes, at least we we you know you're outlining exactly why you think that, and you can kind of you know problem solve and figure out where you yeah. went wrong and whatnot. And it's funny to me that you mentioned Kevin Love. You you look around the NBA and you had Chris Paul, who was thought of as a toxic contract. You'd have to move picks along with them to get off that money same thought with andrew wiggins same thought with kevin love all these guys can't contribute anymore and now you got andrew wiggins who's starting which a uh, shout out to k-pop there uh but you know like he was deserving to be in that conversation and, and maybe to be a reserve chris paul playing a huge role with the suns and kevin love playing a massive role with the Cavs. like you look at that win against the pelicans oh they don't and, win without him yeah and, <laughs> and especially since ricky rubio has gone down 
you don't have an offensive engine with that second unit. And Kevin Love has been that hub in a lot of ways. And they've needed his contributions, whether it comes in 24 minutes a night, uh, whether some nights he, he's asked to do a little bit more. Uh, the hustle plays um, four blocks. I, I think he tied a career high in blocks last night against the Pelicans. Like the contributions of Kevin Love cannot be overstated when it comes to this team. No, and this started right when when Darius was out last time during COVID protocols and Kevin had that streak of five games, 20 or more points, and then had like 18 in the sixth game or whatever. And it's just the shooting that he's the shot making that Kevin's had this year. I don't think he's ever made shots this difficult. That, that, that mid post uh, bucket he got to, to kind of keep the calves in it when it was kind of like a blow for blow, like in a game like that, you really got to, you just got to generate buckets. And he was the only one on the team that was really able to do it. Sorry to interrupt, but God, no, no, that that's shot. exactly it. I was going to get right to that shot because I've been watching that all day. So, <laughs> <laughs> And, and uh, John Michael also did a, a really good job kind of outlining that last play where he just kind of kept the ball alive, kept the ball yeah. alive. And then um, you, you had Jared Allen clean that up and should have gotten an end one. But, you know, big putback dunk to, to tie the game. And uh, it, it was just really refreshing, and I, I think it's the kind of reset that this team needed to go out there and, and kind of get a gritty win. Uh, they'll be without Darius Garland again on Wednesday against Houston. That was just announced prior to this podcast. Lowry Markinen also will be out, uh, but he is traveling with the team and has resumed light basketball activities. Yeah, so I feel like he's healing up a lot faster than I thought he was going yeah, to. I thought that was going to be a six- to eight-week injury, so the fact that he's even playing basketball or something resembling basketball is insane. So that's... <laughs> But the big thing here is, and I've been thinking about this because I I want Darius to be able to rest that back, but you also need to win these games that you should be able to win against these teams. And that makes it a tough decision for for Mm -hmm. the team. You rush back and Darius feels that accountability of, I know I got to go out there and fight and win these games so we can make the playoffs. You can see it. He's hungry for it, but then you're hurt. You know, he's been feeling that since the Warriors game. So the fact that he is is shouldering that load, you want to take that out of his hands. You want to make, feel like you have enough scoring and enough on that team that you can win a game like, like this game against um, the Rockets coming up because you shouldn't have to pick one over the other. So this is, this is why, you know, you continue to say, yes, we're firing up trade machine. Yes. We're thinking about all the guys that are available, but it's not because you want to add a ton of talent. It's because you want to protect a guy like Darius Garland. So he's ready for the long haul. So he has those fresh legs heading into a playoff series. That's why they got to go get somebody. And look, it's not Rondo's fault. They made the move to get Rondo because they needed a ball handler more than anybody because of, and that wasn't just the, the Rubio injury right then. It was all of the COVID protocols. You just need somebody who could play minutes right then. I don't think he was ever thought to be, a long-term contributor for this team. They were always going to look towards the, uh, the, the, the trade deadline to make a move. It's just now's the time you gotta, you gotta do it. If there are guys out there. And what's so nice about this team and this, what appears to be this trade market, obviously it's hard to know until we're a little closer, what other teams really are offering, but the Cavs are in a, are in a really interesting spot here where they're one of the very few teams because of their bad injury luck, that they are able to add talent by just using draft capital. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, they can use the, their, des- their, their, uh, their DPE from, uh, from Rubio's injury. They can use Rubio's, you know, 16 million salary to go match and go get uh, a more expensive talent. And that's a really unusual circumstance where you can say, we could add two to three rotation players and not lose anyone off the roster. 
Yeah. yeah. You know, and that, and that's a really unique situation. And really, like, I mean, couldn't this team use two two more people that JB knows he can play on a night-to-night basis without, you know, and what's so nice about that is you don't have to send out necessarily someone that everyone loves yeah. that, you know, that breaks up this delicate chemistry. All you have to worry about is intake. Like what yeah. kind of what kind of dudes are we trading trading for? And that really leaves the Cavs in a spot where it feels like this trade deadline to me is just going to be a total found money deadline. Like they might t- t- pack up some players and, and get, go really big, but like they don't have to send anyone out to add legitimate rotation talent to this, uh, to this team. No, plenty of teams are packing it in. Right. So like there's guys that they just want that money off their books and they'd be happy about it. You, you heard reports about, the Knicks having guys available. I mean, sure would look nice having Kemba Walker coming off the bench for 20 minutes, right? I mean, Gary Harris is probably there for nothing. Eric Gordon is probably available, and the Suns are interested, supposedly, but they're balking at a first-rounder. So it's not like there isn't talent. I mean, the Kings are still... Even teams like even teams like the Clippers, who are ostensibly yeah. talented, that are looking at you know a potentially lost season due to injury, where you go... Okay, well, do we really want to pay the quadruple omega repeater tax? Is the seat that's, for no that's, reason? That's the like, thing, and, and those Chris, are the kind of teams you can target. Yeah, and, and Chris Fedor mentioned this. Um, he he mentioned one to build off your point earlier, Carter, that uh, there's a chance that the Cavs will be granted a DP for Sexton as well. Um, yeah. But just kind of when he was talking about the possibility of Dennis Schroeder, that the Cavs don't want to start that repeater tax mm-hmm. at this point, right? Like uh, you, you have to kind of make a conscious decision there. And the Clippers are in a position where I believe they're paying $3 for every $1 they're over. They want to reset that clock, that, that repeater penalty there. So you, you look at, at a team like the Clippers that's in that position. Uh, Boston's trying to do the same thing where these teams kind of progressively get more and more expensive. So there is a, an interesting opportunity out there. And um, I, I think when you look at Garland this year, it's very obvious, like when you compare him to his peers, having Rubio certainly helped, but a lot of the guys like LaMelo Ball has Gordon Hayward that is a really competent sec, uh, secondary playmaker that you can tell their offense is dramatically better when he's out on the floor with them. Terry Rozier, they, they've got like a, a bunch of ball handlers. Uh, you, you had that situation in Atlanta. You have all, all of Garland's peers have a lot of guys that can do that. Yeah, you had that situation in Cleveland where this Ricky Rubio guy was yeah, just really, really allowing their... Really- <laughs> it, it was great. It was great. Great, like, yeah, and it's not a fault of roster construction. No. Most teams just aren't built to lose four out of their top six guys in the rotation on opening night, right? Like when you're down, Lowry, who uh, is a massive contributor to them offensively. Like when you look from an impact standpoint, the top three guys from the offensive on-off differential is Garland at plus nine point three. Lowry at plus eight. And do you guys want to guess on who the third is at plus 3.9? So a big difference between Garland and Lowry, but who do you think number three is? Is it Okoro? Carter? I, I, I would like to guess. I'm going to go out of left field. Dean Wade. It's Brandon Goodwin. Brandon Goodwin. Oh, wow. Brandon Goodwin. <laughs> God, this dude, this dude has earned himself a deal, whether it's in Cleveland or, or not for, you know, full-time money. You know, like this guy... He, he is not a two-way talent. 
Mm-hmm. No. It, it, it didn't like Carter with the Hawks either. I mean, it, no. he, he was clearly playing his way into a good situation, and then COVID hit him in a way that was weird. Like he he had some he had a really body. adverse reaction. Yeah, and he was actually one of the people who had what I think was the the reaction to the JMJ. Right, is that what he was saying? So he caught some flack about it at the time, and then research came out that actually this is a very very rare thing that can happen with the shot, and he just he was knocked out for it. It's not that he wasn't talented. They were going to keep him around. He he can score the ball for sure. That's never been a question with Brandon Goodwin. Yeah. And, and sometimes you, you get a guy that that's in their mid to late twenties where it's just, you know, they land in the right situation. I, I think you're seeing that with Stanley Johnson and the Lakers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Cavs had a, a one little, of those guys, the Cavs had one of those guys in Joe Harris that it wasn't the right time, right place with him. And then, you know, he gets hurt, rehabs a couple years. And then all of a sudden he is one of the best role players in the league with the Nets. It happens. Yeah. To even really good players. I mean, Max Struess with the Bulls was out there, had an injury. He was on the Bulls? Yeah, and let him go. He oh, that dude's City awesome. And, and then all of a sudden he winds up in Miami and becomes pretty much a savior to their season after the Duncan Robinson contract. You know, like they had a good team, but, you know, not having to lose that that scoring ability and being as balanced as they are and having a guy, again, found money. Anytime good teams seem to always do this, right? Like look at the Clippers with Terrence Mann. Like, that's not a guy that you just like depend on and count on. But if you're consistently finding that talent, it's going to eventually work out for you. And the Cavs are turning into one of those organizations that can say that without a doubt. You don't find a Dean Wade. You don't find a Lamar Stevens. You don't find the type of guys that they found who are roster contributors, who are actual rotational players, if you don't have some scouting ability. So again, shouts yeah. to the organization for doing this, because this is a thing that we've been harping on them about if those guys weren't working out. So you've got to actually like highlight and spotlight that stuff. I I mean, at this point we can comfortably just say Lamar Stevens is a good rotation player, right? Like I I've been so impressed with the strides he's made. Like you look at how he started this season where just nothing was really clicking, like not even just the offense. I I felt his defensive impact wasn't necessarily there and wasn't as uh, good as it had been the previous season. And he has just stepped up in such a major way. Uh, Dean Wade uh, has done a really good job. I, I think his impact, even though he can shoot, I, I think if you kind of look at the, the on-off numbers and whatnot, uh, more of his impact is coming on the defensive end because he's yeah. got such good mobility. He's active. Great um, it's it's And I talked about this with Jared Allen when, when he had signed the kind of the 80% theory where people are like, Oh, you can get like 80% of Jared Allen and Rashawn Holmes or something like that. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that with Dean Wade and Lowry Markinen where Lowry's gravity and and the way that he draws attention off ball really opens up the Cavs offense. And and I think you're seeing that difference, that little bit of a drop off, but having Dean Wade come in and still give really valuable minutes and, and contribute more on the defensive end of the floor and, and, always be prepared like I, I i don't think you can say enough about those guys and this as, is crazy the Cavs truly have a diet colin they have a diet lowry they have a diet <laughs> o- okoro you know like all these yeah. guys who can just like and like it's so clear to me that you look at garland mobley and allen and those are like that's the trio that just makes the engine go and then you know even even if lamar isn't quite the, you know the the pedigree talent as isaac they can just drop him and say do what we ask Isaac to do. Yeah. And, and he can, and he can fill those minutes. He can eat those innings. And you know, that's the nice thing about having this, this core three that just are the tide that raise all boats, because as long as you just go out and do your job and play to your skill set, you can kind of have a place on this Cavs team. Even if, you know, like, I don't think, I think early in Lamar's career and people would say, ah, he's probably a G league talent that works hard and he's going to might make a career, but like, 
his role is so like relatively easy. Like he he gets four four buckets a game just cutting super hard into space. He's mm-hmm. so much stronger than everybody else. But I think the key here is you have those three guys. You're okay with these dudes taking on spots, but you're you the margin for error now though due to the other injuries is so so slim. So you're going to look up if one more guy gets hurt and misses time for extended period you're going to be kicking yourself if you don't go get another rotational player. And it honestly should be two. It really, mm-hmm. you need, a, you need a guard as much as Goodwin's been helping. Goodwin should be the third guard. He shouldn't be your backup point guard. And then Rondo, whether he sticks around, whether he's shipped out, whether he transitions more to like a DNP type of guy at the end of the bench, who's coaching it, you, you want your second point guard to be someone who's more like Rubio and less like Goodwin. It just helps well, the team. I mean, it's worth noting with Rondo, one thing I think people often forget, because I think he's had two roughish games in a row. Obviously, Detroit was, a, I would say, just a, a straight-up bad game. Yeah. Um, and I do think people kind of forget, when you're at Rondo's age, it's not just that you all of a sudden stink. Um, you know, I remember this happened a lot with Richard. This Like, this happened with Richard Jefferson, yeah. where, like, in his last year, where it's like, oh, Richard doesn't have it tonight. You know, like, and you can yep. kind of tell, like, hey, yep. the 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 muscles aren't going to fire just just right. And like, the problem with the Cavs right now, especially with their lack of ball handlers on the wing, is they don't really have like the means to accommodate like the Knights or Rondo doesn't yeah. have it. So like, even if they trade for someone and D- Darius comes back healthy and all this stuff, I still think Rondo might have a place in the rotation. Yeah. It just might not. It's just not. We need you to play twenty minutes every single night. I, Cause I think that's probably a little too much to ask of him at, you know, age 35. Yeah. And I, I think he, he knows the situation at hand and he loves playing with these guys and teaching, but I mean, he's, he's a professional who's been moved before. So he gets that he was brought in because sometimes you get shut out. And if he gets shut out again, as long as he's happy and wants to be around, there's going to be a place for him to, to continue to try to be ready and stay ready. But it's just, if you don't go get that ball handler, take some of the pressure off DG and you don't go get that wing in the off chance that Lori has a setback or you need to go smaller or some nights Lori doesn't have it. You know, there are guys on this team who, if they're not shots, aren't falling. Jetty had been that way for a while, but Jetty's been working so hard to make an impact in the minutes that he's had, that he's been a must play, um, which, you know, you'd like to see more out of Windler sometimes maybe here and there, but Jetty has been so good now this year for such a consistent period of time that you're not as worried about that. Oh, he's missed two or three shots. And then, you've got to sit him down because he just doesn't have it. But there are games where Laurie's that way, or maybe the matchup just doesn't work out. I'm not saying he's the guy, but I'm going to keep saying it because I have for months here. If you had a Harrison Barnes, it makes things a lot easier for you. Now, I'm not saying that like you have to give up a ton of draft capital for somebody like that because they won't. But if you can go get someone like that, you you might be talking about someone who fits your timeline, but also keeps your team from falling apart if you have an injury and makes you better. If you can elevate the ceiling while also mitigating potential injuries, I don't see a reason why that would be a problem. It's just about what does it cost to get them? And are you upsetting the chemistry of the current balance? I don't think adding anybody is going to hurt this team. I think this team has an identity. I just think, are you shipping out somebody who's a fan, you know, a a locker room guy. And I, if you're, you're faced with that decision, it makes it a little bit tougher. So that's where I'm at with the trade deadline stuff. And all of it just comes down to protecting the core in place. You've got to protect DG. You've got to protect J and you've got to protect Evan. And, and that's, this is the time of the year where it gets real long. These games get to become slog fests. If you've got an opportunity to rest guys, even if it's a week, even if it's two games, 
and you still can win games, that's when you talk about being a top four seed instead of being the five or six. And look, this team's clearly capable with the East, the way that it is of being a top four seed. It should want to be that. And it should be gunning for that. No excuses at this point, because we've seen this is a year to take advantage of just like the Hawks took advantage of last year. I mean, it's a very, very good comparison because they weren't, they were snuck up on some teams. The Knicks were the home team in that series. Yeah. I, I, the Cavs should be the home team in a series heading into the playoffs this year. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And when you look at Garland out against the Rockets on Wednesday, I, I think if you're going to arrest him, you're going to give him these four days off. I like you probably want him to play that game Friday against Charlotte, which has now oh, been yeah. moved to NBA TV. That yeah. game counts double in the oh, standings. Oh, you gotta, you gotta think the <laughs> league playing. made a call. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he'll play. He'll play and, on Friday. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would assume so. And I, I think he had the three days off prior to the Detroit game. Yep. Uh, maybe there, there was hope that things were going to look better, and he was going to be feeling well. And and he was moving around pretty well in that game. But when you have just that lingering soreness and whatnot, getting him that rest, and you know forcing the team to go out there and win ugly and scrap. It's not the worst thing in the world, but I, I do want to transition though, to your feature on Darius Garland. Uh, for those that haven't read it, I encourage you go uh, Google dime Darius Garland. It'll pop up. How Darius Garland is taking the Cavs to the next level is uh, the true grit. True grit is the headline. I I'm, I'm an idiot. Carter even made it. It's, the title it's of in podcast. the name of the podcast. <laughs> you know what? This is the pressures of doing stuff live Carter where I, I'm scrambling. I'm jumping between tabs and whatnot. And you know, sometimes I don't have it just like Richard Jefferson's legs aren't firing on all cylinders. Sometimes Somehow my this is going to get to him. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna hear about this, and you guys I'm are gonna, gonna land on his TikTok or something. Trouble. I don't host this podcast. No, no, no. <laughs> it'll be me. <laughs> we can only hope. Carter getting dragged by Richard Jefferson would make my damn day. So everybody that would make at, my damn day. Yeah, everybody <laughs> at RJ, and uh, let, let's see if we can drag Carter. But uh, Martin, I, I want to ask you about what the process looks like when you like approach a feature like this. Like. Where does this even start? Because for, for me, I, I was never a good writer. Uh, I was an okay aggregator at oh, best. Oh, you were a good you were a good writer. I, I was an okay humble. aggregator, and I, I basically just used news stories to kind of spout my takes and opinions before I realized that this was a much better medium for that. But what how, what what does the the process look like for starting a feature like this? Yeah, it's crazy. We had talked about doing something big on Garland at Summer League. And because we only had two credentials, I couldn't get in the building. I gave them to, to our other writers because I knew it was okay to, you know, be outside the building and let guys cook inside the building. But that's where DG was and that's where the interview was going to be. So Manning took it, which is pretty awesome. He got a chance to talk to him. But, you know, you, you've, you've got your eye on guys, right? We always have this constant list that's changing all the time of who who are the guys that are on their way up are at inflection points and are potentially going to like take off or take on more ownership of what they were doing. You know, I look back at some of the other people we've written about who've done this. Mikhail Bridges last, last year heading into the playoffs, we had a really big feature and a cover on, we did a big thing on Chris Middleton. You know, it's, it's, you, you hope that you're right more than you're wrong. Um, sometimes you just swing and miss, which is okay, but you put yourself out there, you identify these guys, and then you, you work on, you know, finding the opportunities when they come up and, around I'd say mid-December or so it was clear Darius was turning the corner he just was you could see it in every single Cavs game you know and this before Rubio's injury too is they were just operating at such a level that was 
pure fun. And that's like all we want in this world is to have fun and enjoy watching basketball and to celebrate guys for having a good time and playing well. And it was time to, to, to reach out and see if we could do something with him. And we just got really lucky that the Cavs had a long homestand um, heading into you know Christmas and after Christmas. And then this was the right time for it. He was ready to speak up. He had something to say and he felt like he, it was time for him to be, you know, able to shoulder the load of a, a feature like this. You know, the first couple of years he was in the league, he didn't really talk a lot. And no, no, he, did, he really didn't. He kind of got this like weird reputation from the media that maybe he's like a little prickly. Like I, I remember hearing all that and I was like, well, he's 20 years old. Like it's hard to say a guy is or isn't. He's just trying to figure it out, you know? And it just seemed like he wanted to show and not tell. And he's been showing and then it's, oh, I'm actually playing at maybe an all-star level. Oh, maybe it's time to start thinking about kicking that extension into play. You know, guys know the game. They talk, they talk to their agencies and their reps and they talk to other players and they know, okay, PR is part of this. And I think it was the right place, right time situation for us. And, you know, I just, look, I'm from Cleveland, so I'm paying attention to the Cavs. <laughs> I'm always going to pay attention to the Cavs. But even beyond that, John Morant's already getting cover stories. We don't, he doesn't need us. Uh, I think, you know, we, we will want to place our bets on guys who maybe aren't quite getting the attention that they deserve because that's the spot that we're in. We're not, you know, the attention getters as an outlet. So we, we kind of have the types of players on our mind who, who feel that way and also kind of embrace and relish that opportunity. And man, it was an opportunity to shoot a cover with somebody from Cleveland in Cleveland about Cleveland's, who should be his, you know, their second most popular player behind Jose Ramirez that he should be, he should be the number two player in Cleveland. There should be more Darius Garland jerseys than there are Baker Mayfield jerseys. And there will Hell be, yeah. some, but there should be. And that's the thing is like, I know this, I listen to local talk radio at home. <laughs> when I walk the dog, I'm still around hearing these conversations. And if I can do a little bit to get that, you know, moving in the right direction where it's like, look, I don't need to hear about an eight, nine football team anymore. I'd rather hear <laughs> about the team that's 11 games, 500 is extremely fun to watch and deserves the attention of a city that has the ability to care about multiple teams. Let's don't get me wrong about this. Like in 16, you could care about the Cleveland baseball team and you could care about the Cleveland Cavaliers and other times you could care about the Cleveland Browns and you could care about the Cleveland baseball team at the same time. That's not like hard, you know, like Mm -hmm. rooting for teams is not a difficult thing. So I want folks to pay attention to the Cavs and the Browns and the Cleveland baseball team. Like I, I do, it's important for the ecosystem and for discussions. Like I, it's just, it's not and it's more up. fun. This is the f- most is. fun story in town right yeah. now. Yeah, let's so enjoy it, having fun. Like it's not a bandwagon to say, "All right, I'm gonna watch the Cavs. They're good. I'm gonna watch them." Like, mm-hmm. do it. Just watch the Cavs. It's fun. You'll have a good time. It's two hours. You're gonna see yeah. some dogs. You're gonna see. <laughs> you don't. You players. don't have to sell. You don't have to sell our listeners unless yeah. they are really, really well, I'm weird. To sell everybody else <laughs> on the Cavs too. You know, because Wendy was right. Like they just don't get enough attention, and you guys fight hard for it, and. Locked on guys and Kelsey and Chris, all those guys are there fighting for this team. I, everyone else should be fighting for them too. And that includes the fans. And so I don't know, there's times where it's easier for me with Cleveland and the other 29 cities. Cause I'm close to it and I hear about it and I'm in group checks, texts and chats, but I don't know. Darius was playing really good basketball. He's a really good story. 
he's a really interesting guy and he deserved the attention. So it worked out well. And then of course they lost on Sunday, but look, of course, <laughs> that, that's how it, of course you, you cursed us, but yeah. I do want to ask, you know, in this current media climate, access is like one of the hardest things to get, you know um, you know, and, and prolonged access is even rarer. So, you know, you're probably one of a very small group of media members that really has gotten time to actually get to know the guy a little bit at, at, in a, you know, in more than a so superficial post-game presser way, kind of what were you, what were your takeaways from him just a, as a person and, and, and as a, as a, as a very young leader, cause we're all old farts on, on this call right now, but you know, yeah. he's, I almost forget he's 22. What were your, what were your takeaways from uh, first off that being around him? Yeah. That's the thing is like you, you, he was 21 two weeks ago and that guy does not act like a 21 year old. You know, and that's huge. That's just he was born in 2000. I I can't I can't get my that's head, unacceptable. I I can't get my head around and anybody I'm not that, that guy was that's like born oh, in a yeah, year that doesn't so, start with a one. Yeah. I'm not even that guy. that's like oh we're we're so old. I don't care about any of that stuff. I just when you're that young, if you're taking on that much ownership of a team, that shows me that you have emotional maturity. That that's that's a skill. That's a tangible skill. Evan Mobley has it. Darius Garland has it. Those are huge things to have in your back pocket if you're JB. Because he listens, because he wants to be coached. But the thing that really surprised me the most about him, other than that and that maturity that he has, is that guy smiles all the time, you know? And that's just like, I want to play for that guy. I want to play with that guy. I want to be around that guy. And you hear the comparisons to like Mike Conley. It's perfect. Everybody wants to be around Mike Conley. He's the league's <laughs> good guy, the ultimately good guy. So you see this guy smile. You see him bringing more out of these guys. You see, the impact he's had on Kevin who like, let's be real, like look like he didn't really like playing basketball, but that's your job. Right. So like, if you don't enjoy your job and you're in a pandemic where you're like, you know, everything is weighing on you, those things start to compound. And I'm not trying to psychoanalyze Kevin love. He will do it himself for you because mm -hmm. he's that open and honest, but he was not having a good time. He'd admit that. He's having fun now. And a lot of that's got to be Darius. It's got to be the impact that Darius has on the locker room. And look at how much fun he and J.A. have together. You know, it's J.A. was said after Darius came back in that Grizzlies game, he was like, I missed the lobs, but I missed him as a person too. And it's just like such an adorable, cute, but it's like heartwarming thing that like these guys really do like playing together. They like each other. They share each other's Instagram stuff and they tweet at each other and talk to each other and joke around and press like, that's good. You want that. You want that's chemistry. It's not just on the court. It's that they trust each other inherently off the court. And I think that's a big thing for him is the smiles and like, look that it's easy to smile when you're winning. So we'll see when they hit the adversity and when those tough games gum, like they do on Sunday and how they react and respond to those things. But that's, it's easy to get people to buy in when you've got a guy like that. And so I, I just, I, I was blown away by that and just like how respectful he is as a person. So like, I, I would want, he's exactly the type of player I'd want to coach, but also he's, I mean, the playmaking ability he's able to, to do, it's like, you love it's that nuts. point guard. You love a point guard who collects moves like their action figures and then just like waits for the right time to unleash all of these, like, that's that I grew up. That's the type of place. Steve Nash. Like you love watch Chris Paul. You love watch Kyrie was that way for a very long time. He hasn't been asked to do as much on the passing side of things since he got to, to Brooklyn, but from a scoring ability, he still can unleash that arsenal. It's just really cool when you have a point guard 
who can pass the ball the way he can, but can also score the way he can. And also he has a jump shot. It's insane. I just, I, like, I just think so crazy. The, the more I watch, the more I just, I just see Steve Nash. It's cr- um, there's one move. I, I, I don't know which game it was. Um, I'm trying to think back. He did that little slip move under the hoop and he slides out like he's going to dribble it to the corner. But instead he did that like rotation one, two step quick, like layup thing. And that's Nash. Nash used to operate under the hoop like that. And he, he tricks you. And it's yeah, like just ge- generating angles where there are none. Like yeah. that was kind of the Steve Nash. And that was what Larry told game. me two years ago when we worked on this piece is he was just like, I've got to hammer into Colin and Darius that they're that good that they just need to trust angles. And cause Larry's such a big soccer fan. So he's always watching Premier League stuff, and it's like that's all angles. The best soccer players in the world don't beat the best soccer players in the world because they have inherent talent advantages. Some do, but when the best and the best are playing, you have to look for science and math. And like it's definitely sunk in. It's <laughs> those angles are there for him, and it's just amazing to see the impact that like a guy like Larry Nance had on these young guys. It's just. You know, the bittersweet thing is he's out there and the team's now having success and the team probably is having success because in large part of the trade, you were able to start three bigs at once. But basketball is a business. Larry loves the Cavs. He always will. Even though he's he's in Portland, he's definitely probably rooting for those guys. I, I'd be surprised if he's not still talking to them. But mm-hmm. those lessons accumulate over time. You just hope that you have players who are willing to listen and appreciate. And this is the thing I remember talking to Colin about was how do you take the advice that you know is the advice I should take versus the bad advice? And when you have that many coaches, that many players, the locker rooms rotating, revolving door guys, you got to block out the noise and be able to trust the right things. And they now have one voice, one mission. And that's a testament to JB and the staff for, for creating that cohesion. Yeah. And I think part of the reason this group resonates with me so much is it's, None of these guys really came in with like Zion like hype, right? Like a, a lot of these guys, it, it took time, it took hard work. Even JB Bickerstaff, like he, he's getting recognition now, but you know, uh, two interim positions where it, it didn't work out and whatnot. Uh, people didn't love the the hire. Um, Darius coming off the the meniscus surgery, it, it took him a while to kind of find his footing. Isaac's still in that process right now, but. You've got these guys that, and I I think because they had to work for everything, there's kind of a shared sense uh, of kind of community within the team. And as you mentioned, it is still a business. I'm I'm not naive enough to to think that it's not a, and everything's kumbaya and whatnot. But when you have Lamar Stevens, Dean Wade, and even the the stars like Garland, Sexton, Okoro, uh, Mobley is a little bit more of a savant, but you know he he's quiet and humble, right? Like uh, Jared Allen has come into his own through hard work. I I think there's a shared bond there, and especially as someone that you know lives in a city that's often overlooked, and you kind of you, you create your own bonds, uh, your family, your uh, you kind of adopt that lunch pail mentality and whatnot. Like to me, that's what really makes this Cavs team resonate. And when you see Garland and Sexton on the sideline uh, last night against the Pelicans, where they're, they're up there, they're calling things out there, like coaching from the sideline. They're, they're so into it. The entire team's on the floor. Uh, We'll probably get a tech at some point for having 15, (laughs) 15 players on the floor, but you know, like that's the kind of stuff that really resonates for me. Do, Do you find the Garland story more compelling because he did have to overcome all 
that early on and it wasn't something where okay this is the anointed one he showed up and he's everything everyone promised look this is this is how cleveland is right you want gets us on a new level you want that those guys like anyone who can claim that in cleveland is automatically a darling so on the first off like yeah but from a national perspective stories are always better when they're hard to me i just i think that there's plenty to to like about number one picks who come in the league and are amazing and you have, don't struggle off the bat. Like that's fine. And even those guys will tell you they have a chip on their shoulder or they had to overcome a lot or there's haters or, you know, the, the apologies must be as loud as the disrespect. Like they have <laughs> to create that stuff for themselves, but that doesn't mean that like things really are that hard. Like if you're the consensus number one player in college and like you were a five-star recruit and then you're drafted top five and then you start immediately and you're pretty good immediately and average 20 and 10, like whatever generates, you know, your ability to motivate you, that's great. I'm fine with that, but that doesn't make you more compelling unless you have something to say. So then mm-hmm. you got to give that back to the media, to the fans, to, to everyone else. Jaw's a perfect example of like the hybrid model of that, where like Jaw did the work to become the number two pick and then has taken a gritty, you know, blue collar as hell team to the next level, along with a whole bunch of other guys that they've been stockpiling who fit what they do. And we're either outcasts or we're traded or we're like given up on or had injuries. If you want to be somebody, you want to be Memphis more than you want to be Atlanta. Atlanta's had the run, like, no, you know, they deserve all that credit for that. And their players are very, very good, right? Like John Collins, I have nothing but good things to say about John Collins. He's a Wake Forest guy, go Deeks. And you've got Trey doing what he does at an otherworldly level. And Capella is really, really good. And Hunter was great, like as a defensive player and, and has done everything he needed to do except stay healthy. And when he's on the court, like he's the talent they were looking for. All that's great. You want that. You want to make that run. But I think Cleveland would always rather do it the hard way. And so mm-hmm. – Looking to that Memphis model, that's it. Get the late picks. Get the guys who are on their second team. Get the undrafted guys. Get the guys who fight for not just themselves, but their team. And then obviously you want them fighting for the city on their on their own jersey. And a lot of that's lip service. And a lot of that's like generated as, you know, something that you can use in PR and marketing materials. But some guys really just are built that way. And I think from a storytelling perspective, you want to do it your way. And I, I think this team takes a lot of pride in the fact that they're going to be the first team in the Cavaliers since 1998, who made the playoffs without LeBron. They know just as much as we know that it hasn't happened. And they know the gravity of a guy like LeBron. They are going to be really pretty dang proud to be in the playoffs without him. And to know they've done this on their own after it was scorched earth, because when you have the gravity of LeBron, when LeBron leaves, you have a black hole that remains and everything gets sucked into it. So you've got to find your way out. They've done that. And it was hard to get here. All of the people have watched the Cavs and all the Cavs who have played all those games, all the losses, all the struggles, all the complaints, all the noise, all the arguments about Colin Sexton, all the arguments about this draft pick and that guy and, and Kobe, you don't have to have them anymore. You mm. just get to talk about this team and what they're doing right now. and. Yeah. When you, when you talk about stories that you want to tell, that's, that's what we try to do. That's the dream about having one like that. And you especially dream about having one like that at the moment, the inflection point that we were able to, that's not easy. And that's very lucky. And I feel very humbled that 
you guys are having me on the podcast right now to talk about it. You know, like that's not something that happens every day. So it's good to celebrate it, but you got to move past it, right? You got to move on to the next one. We've got to find our next cover and it's got to be just as good or better. And the Cavs Mm -hmm. have to move past it. They've won all these games. They've matched last year's win total. They're doing what they're doing, but that's not the end goal for them. The end goal is make the playoffs, win a playoff series, win another playoff series. And so they'll admit that that's it. And staying on track and doing that, that's hard. You know, that's a, that's a difficult thing. That's up to JB. That's up to the rest of the staff. That's up to the guys in the locker room. That's why having a guy like Rondo, having a guy like Kevin Love, who, who've seen the press clippings before and have heard the hype, they need to keep you grounded. And it's amazing. I don't think Lamar Stevens is ever going to buy into any hype. So you, you <laughs> need any, but you need woof, talent. Woof. So <laughs> you got you got to combine the talent with the guys like that, and then you hope you have enough of the guys like that, like Evan, who I don't think Evan Mobley is going to talk a lot. But that dude, he is going to dunk on you. He's going to run to the end of the floor. He's going to block you. And he's going to have the same face the entire time that that sequence happens. That's You dream about a talent like that who isn't demonstrative because you just know that his head's in the right place. And so I, I definitely give a lot of credit to the, to the team for doing that and for putting that those pieces together because it, you see the, the trajectory of it. And I think you know when you get so caught in the minutia day after day after day, when it's nice to take that macro look and kind of take a step back and say nationally, okay, no, they did this. This is amazing. Cause we've had all the arguments for so long. It's nice well, and, I, and you know, like this was in, it's just so it remains so unexpected. You yeah. Know? It's like, I remember exactly the right phrase. <laughs> I, I, I remember saying to Justin after LeBron left and just felt the second time. And I said, my biggest fear about this team and this franchise is that we're going to become Kings East. Yeah. You know, a team that's just constantly spinning its wheels, starting and restarting and starting and restarting. And, you know, like it looks like they're getting the Kings to do another rebuild, Uh, you know, and like there, you can really get caught in a bad feedback loop of of culture. Yeah. Look at the magic since Dwight. I mean, that's a perfect example of that. And that's, they didn't win a title, but they, they had an identity and established group of guys and they haven't found it. It just fell apart. Yeah. By the way, I will take umbrage with, I I hate the, the Cavs haven't made the playoffs without LeBron since 1999. It's like, well, he played there 11 years. Yeah. Yeah, But it's just like, it does count, but like this, it's just a, the years before LeBron were so dire. They were dire. Years after LeBron, like dire. Sorry, like I don't. The 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 arguments we used to have at the oh the Dion Kyrie wars yeah and oh, Alonzo D and Tamaro Samuels and like can shout this out guy, Burger Feet man Harris, like shout out to all those guys for fighting and for trying but like when like the most exciting thing that happens is you get a first for Ramon Sessions like I'm sorry like it's cool to be talking about being 11 games over 500. And we seem like they're headed that way again, you know, at the, after the year, first year and a half. And it's like, oh, you're going to buy out Kevin Love. Like, it's so nice to not have to talk about, are you going to buy out a guy who might win most? Yeah, it just, yeah, it just sucks to talk about buyouts. You yeah, know, we spent you know, so much time talking about buyouts last season. Think about it. Yeah. How much time did you spend between Andre Drummond and Kevin Love talking about <sighs> buying those two guys out? 
Yeah, it, it was the worst, and, and especially and after like the, the J.R. Smith situation. Like yeah, again, like yeah. a we, beloved member of the team, and that's the way it goes. And um, you you look at the first kind of post decision stretch where you had three number one overall picks, you had two number four picks, and to have this quick of a turnaround where you're already talking about home court in the Eastern Conference, zero um, number one picks this with, time with no number one picks. You, you have two number five picks. You have a number eight and a number three. Like and it's you, you it, miss on Luca and you miss on Zion and you miss on all these big, big, big guys. And it doesn't matter because you went and got guys. I mean, six months ago, people were talking about whether or not Coro deserved his next year attacked on. No one's talking hey, about that now. He's a little bit of breaking news during this podcast. Both Isaac Coro and Evan Mobley have made the Rising Stars game. Like. She, Finally, yeah, some rules. respect. This rules. I'm sorry. This is way cooler than talking about that stuff and endlessly asking, well, who can you trade and get a first attached to them by taking on their contracts? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, we barely, we really, we really it. tried not to talk about even trades to improve the team uh, yeah. too much this season. Cause it's like, hey, like we understand, like here are some things the team needs, but also like there, we're at this really cool part, even in the dog days of the season where, we are able to consistently react to what's going on on the floor. On the court. It's and, just- and, and that's why like, I, I think the Detroit game was such a needed wake-up call yep. because as much as the trade deadline may supplement the core, you don't want to be like coasting and saving yourself from the for the playoffs if you're not a veteran team that everyone's in their prime, they're closer to finished products and whatnot. The Cavs still need to adopt the mentality of we need to get better every single game because we have all these guys that are so young. Uh, we need post-All-Star break leaps from Darius Garland. We need it from uh, Evan Mobley. We need it from Isaac Okoro. We need it from Jared Allen. Uh, Larry Markinen, uh, w- once he's back, like these guys need to still be playing with an edge and still be focused on that process on the grind of getting better and these are really great opportunities i would rather them work on their own games progress throughout the rest of the regular season and if it means they're a little more gas in the postseason and uh they they come up a little bit short if you have that growth i'm going to feel great about that like that's what matters way more than the end result of this season and i i think why you want to bring in those supplemental pieces at the trade deadline that make things easier is so that the work they need to put in for that growth doesn't take as much of a toll on them like you, you want them to to be able to work on their games to develop in an environment that is cohesive with, you know, playing good basketball <laughs> that 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 helps them out in those ways. So it's uh, it's an exciting time. I, I'm interested to see how things go before the trade deadline. But like I, I, I said, when there was only nine games left before the trade deadline, I'd be fine with them going five and four if it means, you know, resting some guys. Uh, if it means not overpaying what you'd have yep. to pay to get a deal done two weeks before the deadline versus on deadline day, uh, they are, I, I think, five, four and one since I said that. So I'm I'm okay with that. Uh, my math might be wrong or my counting might be wrong. Happens a lot. But, you know, like I, de- I definitely feel like they're on the right track here. Yeah. And the big thing is just you've got what you need to make moves. And if you decide that these guys are the guys you're rolling with, and the price is too high, then you just keep what you have. But yeah. there's there's plenty of ways to incrementally improve. The key is just I want it to be for the right reasons, and those reasons are protecting the health of the core, not at the expense of the core. 
So yeah. as long as that's the the end game, and I believe it is, or they would have made a move by now. But look, I I just think it's such a better place to be in than talking about whether or not you're going to trade for Ben Simmons right now. Oh my God. It's, you know, like so much better. That's what it could be. It very easily could have been, are we, are the Cavs going to trade Sexton, Akuro, Kevin Love and two firsts for Ben Simmons. And that's why like, yeah, you don't want to be Kings East. You and and Daryl Morey would call you up and say, no, I also want Garland and Mobley. Yeah, and I, I want all, all, all your guys. I, I want you to find a time machine and bring me back prime Michael Jordan. I, I want, I want it all. And I want it now. Yeah. Martin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I really appreciate yeah. it. And I, I would encourage our listeners to go check out your piece. True grit. I got the title posted right in the chat, posted in the chat on the YouTube bot. If you are, if you are available and we should probably, tweet it from the from the pod account oh we we are most certainly doing that as we post this podcast so if you you found the podcast on twitter the feature will be underneath it i want to read one bit one quote from darius garland from your feature uh and i think it really speaks to his leadership it's just be honest with me i don't like bsing just be completely honest with me I want you to get on me. If I do something wrong, I want you to yell at me. I want you to do the same thing that you're doing with the last person on the bench. I don't want like any slack or anything like that. Just coach me really hard. That's the whole deal with me. And that's actually a quote from, from Justin Rowan to me. Uh, five years <laughs> ago hard. oh yeah yeah I, I definitely need to ask you for criticism carter that that has been <laughs> a consistent theme in our relationship here absolutely <laughs> love you buddy love you buddy uh martin thank you so much for coming on looking forward to seeing you in all-star in yeah. cleveland back, uh, back in let's home. go we, yeah, we will be you. uh joining uh evan mobley and isaac okoro who are representing the Cavs at the rising stars game hopefully darius garland and jared allen will be re- representing them in the all-star game itself make sure you guys are checking out the feature if you're listening to this on youtube and, and watching live make sure you like and subscribe click that notification bell so you know when we're going live if you're listening via podcast leave us a rating leave a review subscribe unsubscribe resubscribe and help cook those books if you want to be part of the chase downs exclusive discord chat send a screenshot of that review to chase at gmail.com however you support us we really do appreciate it make sure you guys are staying safe out there and until next time go cats. Okay.